Hi, everyone. Welcome to the I Dare You podcast. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals you have in your life. And what next steps do you need to take to get there? I'm your host, Darren Johnson, and welcome to episode 27. Uh, I am so glad you're here. You're going to love our guest. He is a world-renowned chef. He is Scott Parker. Scott is a two-Michelin-starred chef. He trained at the prestigious Westminster Kingsway College in London. He has mastered the culinary arts uh, through training all over the world. At the ripe old age of 25, he decided to do something different with his life. He devoted his life to maintaining a healthy lifestyle and developing foods for some of the world's top retailers. Scott is currently the product development manager of culinary innovation, research, and development at Woolworths out of South Africa. And somewhere along his journey, he became featured on the cover of Men's Health magazine. My goodness. We'll talk about all that and more. He is a CrossFit athlete, but also had a significant health scare in 2020. And now he is an author. Brand new book called End Your Carb Confusion. And maybe most importantly, Scott and his wife, who's from South Africa, are proud parents to a brand new baby boy. Without further ado, everyone, welcome to episode 27. And here is Scott Parker. How's it, Darren? Hey, Scott. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. I know that we've we've struggled with the time differences, and I'm so glad we can finally connect. Scott, it is basic math on time zones, and I have the access to Google, for Pete's sake, and I still messed it up, <laughs> so I'm so glad we're able to finally connect. So uh, good to see you. So, Scott, your Instagram is fantastic, and one of the reels you have on there is you, and you are cutting a steak. That's all you're doing. It's a picture of the video of the steak and a knife in your hands, and you're narrating it. And uh, you, everyone, you have to follow him on Instagram. Uh, my whole family was huddled around my iPhone. We were watched that reel about 10 times because we were watching you cut the steak. It was almost like a religious experience watching you do it. <laughs> and, and the narration, we we're trying to figure out, okay, this guy, what's the accent? Is it French? Is it French? No. Is it English? Maybe. Australian? May I so we were trying to figure all that out. And, uh, but uh, you, your social media is fantastic. And thank you for that reel in particular. Appreciate it. Yeah, I have, um, I have a steak diary. Um, often before my son was born, I'd spend Fridays, I'd, I'd treat myself to an incredible cut of steak um, and a glass of red wine. And I'd take the steak and and age it in the fridge. And I think, you know, it's an old thing that I had that when I was younger and I started earning money, not much, but I'd go and buy a steak because it was always that, you know, high value item that was always sought after. Love that. And it's just one of those things that was my tradition and it became a Friday tradition. And, and yeah, hopefully <laughs> you'll see some, some well-cooked meat in there and, and the book will teach you how to cook it properly as well. There you go. Uh, you are doing some really cool things with, with your time and your talents. And before we talk about all that, Tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, where, where did all this begin and, and how did you land in your current role? So you know, I was 14, 15 um, when I sort of got introduced to cooking. I was working at my stepdad's pub in Oxford and um, we, my, myself and my two brothers, would go there on holidays and weekends and, and we'd be put to work as young, young boys were, uh, keep us out of mischief or probably get us into more mischief. And um, my two brothers spent more time in the front of house as waiters, and I really enjoyed being in the back of house. So I did the washing up and I was in the kitchen and I was exposed to seeing food and, you know, chefs screaming and shouting and cooking and flames. And it just looked <laughs> so cool. And I was like, wow, yeah. I mean, that's something I want to be involved with. 
Um, and it kind of just snowballed from there. Um, uh, every year I um, worked in restaurants. So I'd finished college, I'd go to a restaurant and uh, to live in, and work in, in London, obviously is an expensive task. So I was working in hotels and restaurants um, from the age of 16, 17 and 18. Uh, such a fantastic three years. Um, and then sort of the, the last year got into Michelin. I was working at a two Michelin star restaurant called Piadetta. Um, and I finished college, went and, and stayed there full time for another two years. Um, wow. From there, went on to another two Michelin star restaurant called Hibiscus uh, with Claude Bozzi in London. Spent two more years with him. Uh, then went to a restaurant called Letilia de Jol Robichon, which was another two Michelin star restaurant. Um, and it was then someone, Claude Bozzi said to me, go and speak to Daniel Clifford at Midsummer House, which had two Michelin stars at the time. And um, I spent three and a half years with him um, and finished as his head chef. So it's 2021 when he named me head chef. Of oh, Midsummer my gosh. House. It was, it was an incredible honor. It's something that really, I mean, it kickstarted my, my career. I'd, I'd spent the best part of my, my young career working only in two mission style restaurants. So it's, it's the only food I knew how to cook. Um, I was, you know, highly, highly trained and highly capable at such a young age. I took a little bit of a sabbatical in between. I spent uh, seven months living in Japan, uh, where I was just basically, we call it staging. You work for free in restaurants. So I'd work in three stars, two stars, one star, street corners, youth hostels, just learning different tips and tricks and just trying to add another dimension to my food. And, and to me, I was, you know, I spent all this time in, in kitchens in, in London and in England, yeah. which is fantastic because you, you get exposed to, you know, people from all over the world want to come and work in these restaurants, but you don't get to experience other other produce and you know other fish and other meats and and that's what what I actually sought my, sought out to go and see in Japan. So after that, at the age of twenty five, I was sort of like my, my goal was always to be a head chef of a Michelin star restaurant, um, you know, and hopefully one day own a restaurant. And I kind of got to twenty five, and I was like, you know, I don't really want to do this for the rest really? of my life. Really, yeah. so it was Working, a bit of a turning point. Yeah, it big big time. Yeah, it's you know you you work. There's not a huge budget and you're working 18 hours a day. And as a head chef, you you pride yourself on making sure you're the first one in, you're the last one out. Sure. Your kitchen's spotless. You know, your team, your team turn up and everything is just perfect. And, and that's the way it is. <laughs> and it got to a point where I just thought, I can't do it anymore. I can't. Mm. I need something. I need something else. And um, and I think it was just a realization of the, you know. I can work hard and, 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 I, and I like working hard, but I feel yeah. that I can work smart and I feel that I can offer a lot more and do a lot more. So, so I pulled out, I came out of the industry. Um, I had the house, I had a mortgage and I didn't have a job to go to, but I stopped um, and, and spent six months sort of looking around and doing private jobs and, you know, kept myself afloat. Uh, and then one day I got a phone call from a food manufacturing company and then eventually became their sort of senior development chef looking after a huge portfolio of, of products, of, of ready meals, prepared meals. And that was fun for a few years. Uh, and, and then it got to the five year and I was like, yes, I'm bored. Did it, did it tap into your passion for food and ingredients and that was, what, what was that like? Yeah, it did. It did to an extent. And I think that I've always been I always throw 110% at absolutely everything I do. Um, and then when I kind of get to a point where I'm like, I'm pretty much there, um, I get bored again and I need to sort of push myself out of my comfort zone again. Um, and I feel that unless I'm not 
uh, unless I'm put in a position outside of my comfort zone, I, I, I get bored and I get, I get stagnant and I, and, and I, you know, I don't like that and I don't operate well, you know, I get, I almost get a bit, you know, complacent and I, I've identified it twice in my career where I've been, I need to make a big shift here. A contact of a contact got me in touch with Woolworths, who's the sort of the pre premium retailer here in, in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, the head of innovation flew over to the UK to meet me and, and we just had a, a long meeting over a glass of wine, which was really nice. And he explained his role and he, he asked about me and my my story and he was just like we need we need someone like you in the business oh, it was a good good fit oh, right right away they saw it you, you saw it right yeah but it was very much um it wasn't a kitchen role at all so i wasn't a chef anymore and that was it was a huge shift for me because i i needed to become a different person and a different manager and i mean i'd managed people i'd managed chefs but but managing in corporate is very different to managing a kitchen. A tough transition. Um, um, and two years ago, they sort of approached me and said, look, we really want to start this, this culinary arm. We've, we've got a kitchen and we've got a team of development chefs, but we don't really have a direction of how we want to use them and how the best to, you know, get the best out of them and, and actually what potential we can use from them. It's It's been a wild two years, but we have this the most incredible development chefs that, you know, we can come up with you know in any one day we could work on baby food to sushi to you know crazy ice creams to fast food menus love it it's love it so when you're 15 up and through 25 uh, becoming a, a michelin star chef two-star michelin chef that is unbelievable i mean that's rarefied air right there and what was that grind like and what was your life like at 25 when you decided to walk away uh, it's i mean it's just absolutely relentless it's this the only way to describe it is it's relentless so you know at college leaving college so i'd get to college at six o'clock in the morning more often than not i'd be one of the first people in and i would go downstairs there was an ironing board and i'd iron my jacket there because i just wouldn't have time or chance during the during the time that i'd get home at midnight between the time that i'd wake up get to college and it's sort of this vicious circle. So you survive on sort of four, four hours sleep. Um, I mean, my, 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 I went from high school playing rugby, athletics, being super fit and healthy to someone who was just barely getting by living just on four hours sleep. And I think it was just the drive and determination that I had every day and the want and the hunger to learn more that sort of kept me going through that. It's a tough and quite a lonely space to be in. But, you know, when you get into that kitchen, I felt that every time I walked into a kitchen, I was just in a different world. Nothing, at, the outside world didn't, didn't mean anything. You know, it's oh almost my. like it didn't exist. Tell me and more about you, that. What do you mean? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you go in, I, I would go in and it was almost, I suppose like some people would play a computer game and they get stuck into this mythical world. But this was a world that you're just in this kitchen and, and you're just cooking and everything is so high tempo and high pressure and everything you do is, is just on a knife edge the whole time. And you're working at Michelin level, it's, you know, there's tempers and, you know, there's personalities and there's egos and, and it's, it's just, it's, it was just one of those places that I always felt comfortable. You know, it's just, a, it was just a space that I could be a different version of me and then I could come out and, and, and sort of you know, resume life as, as you will. So now it, in your current role right now, you started this role right around the time that COVID hit. How did COVID rock your world or present some opportunities for you? 
So, I mean, I was very lucky. So South Africa had an, an extremely strict lockdown. So the beginning of lockdown that, you know, there was army, there was the army on the streets. You were not allowed out of your home. Oh my God. The only time you were allowed out of your home was to do a shop, one shop, couldn't even walk the dog. So I was presented with an opportunity to two opportunities. One was to take on my role. Um, and then whilst I took on my new role, we're trying to get to know my team, um, we as a business, Woolworths were giving money to a school, a culinary school for the underprivileged. Um, and the school actually had to close down because, you know, the kids couldn't come to school. So, but we were still funding the school. So I had a phone call with the head of innovation and he said, Scott, look, there's, there's some funds. And, you know, if you want, we can get a special, you know, letter from literally the government to say, you're a special case that you are helping the country and you can go and open the kitchen up and, and provide food. Um, so the school also got involved and said, look, we can get 60 people in Philippi, which is um, a township in the Western Cape. Um, and we could, we could start feeding these people through this. So there'd be a couple of us that can at least then do something in the, with this time. So we went in the first day we got going and we sent out the 60 meals and we were very happy. We were all set and we'd planned different meals for different days and we planned to do it for seven days a week. Uh, I, then I got a phone call from the delivery guy who was driving to, to Philippi and said, Scott, we can't go into Philippi. It's too dangerous. The, you know, and now the, the poverty is rife, but it's really rife now because there's no one on the streets and it's, it's becoming a really tense sort of situation. So, so the next day we went to the local police station and said, look, this is our plan and this is what we want to do. And we want to send food to Philippi. Can you help us? So they said, we'll help you. But we have also have an outreach for 50 people. Can you feed them as well? So I said, yeah, we'll do that. Not a problem. So now we had St. Francis Boys Home because you, know, you can't just give once and then stop. And we had <laughs> Philippi and we had this new location. So we sent that, that all out. And I looked at uh, Melinda, who's my partner at the school and, and Barry, who's also who set the school up. And I said, look, we can do more. And, and I laughed because it, we started with the premise of doing 60 meals. And then we, the next week was 1,000, and it was 5,000, oh. it was 10,000. And our biggest week, we did 25,000 meals. And I get goosebumps thinking about it. I mean, like that was, it was ridiculous. 25,000 meals was far too many. We fell over, we were working back to the same hours that I used to be doing, and it, it just wasn't sustainable. Wow, 25,000 uh, meals. So, so we did that and we, we, we did that for 18 months. Things opened, things closed, things opened and we, we got to a million meals. And, oh, uh, my goodness. and we, we've just carried on. And then from there, I sort of re-looked at the business model and how we were running the charity. Um, and we were buying everything peeled and chopped at one stage. So I said, look, let's stop buying things peeled, chopped and diced and get everything in whole. So we're going to save that money. I can then bring in students, pay them stipends, teach them. So these are students from underprivileged backgrounds that don't have jobs. So I can bring them in. I can train them. I can give them a job. I can pay them. And I will have surplus money to be able to increase the amount of meals that we're doing. Well done. So we started doing that and it started... And then we sort of identified in head office that there was nowhere, there was nowhere for anyone to go and eat. So I said, no, there's something we can do with this and we can, we can make something of this. So I opened a deli. <laughs> I opened a deli in head office uh, with the students, teaching the students how to make sourdoughs, um, using the food waste and then selling it back to the head office staff. 
Um, and the funds then from the deli went back down to the feeding scheme and the chefs are now getting taught how to peel, chop and dice and, and run a feeding scheme and now how to, to run a deli. Uh, and then in January, uh, I think you're getting a bit of a pattern here. I got bored of that. And yeah, I was going to ask go. you, what happened then? So I found a space on one of our, we've got five buildings um, and it was sort of a derelict loft. I found a space, um, created funds from the feeding scheme that we had surplus renovated the whole space and created a roof garden so i planted um, vegetables and 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 fruits and trees and and created this beautiful oasis in the in the cbd in the middle of town a fully working roof garden with the idea is that we now harvest the vegetables there to go into our deli that then gets sold back to to the staff um, and our latest endeavor now is i've partnered with um, three of the best chefs in cape town and I've uh, asked them to, to create what I've called a scholarship program. So I take the top students that come through my feeding scheme and I give them opportunities in these restaurants. So I will pay half of their salary, they will pay half of their salary, and then they get, get exposure to you know, some of the most incredible restaurants in, in South Africa. Oh so that's gosh. where we are today. Well, okay. So I've heard a lot about sustainability, but I have rarely heard it described in a way that is working as you have it laid out. Um, would you agree with that, that this is this model it truly is a sustainability model? You know, I, I called it the green kitchen. And what I wanted to do is to try and make the feeding scheme as this almost self-sustainable model, saying if we wanted to move to Johannesburg and, and set this up in Johannesburg, which is two hours flat north of us. And often people get discouraged with with sustainability but I've really found it's it's just about connecting dots and just giving it the time it deserves and and building it into your to what you do. Make it an everyday part of your conversation. There's a lot of lessons in your story here. Um, let me take a shot at one. You know, if you're really hustling at what you do and you love what you do, you go into that equivalent of the kitchen and you're just in that zone, right? You're just in the element. Sometimes we think this is the only thing in life we can do. This particular job, this particular thing, whatever that is. Scott, your story reminds me that this is a big world. There's a lot of need in the world. And just by getting out of your comfort zone and taking that step, there's a lot of adjacent type things where your time and talents can really make a difference. That's part of your story and takeaway that I'm getting. Uh, absolutely spot on. I think, you know, I, I remember distinctly at the age of 25, standing on, a, on the past, the hot plate where you dress the plates, head chef of a two Michelin star restaurant thinking, I'm a good chef and I love food, but there must be more to what I can do. I can offer more in other ways. I didn't know at the time I'd be here in South Africa, right? You know, my charity's nearly at 2 million meals and I've gone through a journey that, that I mean, you could really write, I, I literally wrote a book. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, unless you push yourself, unless you challenge yourself, you're always going to be stuck in this comfort zone that you're never going to be able to grow. And, and the biggest growth I've, I've found my whole life and my whole career is when I've said to myself, you know, things are good, things are going well, but actually they can be better and I can make a change and there is more to me. So step back, you know, and sometimes it means taking a pay cut and sometimes it means taking, doing longer hours. And that's, that's the sacrifice. It's a short-term sacrifice for a long-term gain. And, yeah. and I, I, I can't tell you what I'm going to be doing in two years' time or three years' time. And, and, you know, some people sit down and I sit down sometimes with managers and they say, where do you want to be and where do you want to go? But I don't know. I don't know because 
the world changes so quickly and my passion will still be food as long as food's involved and people are involved and I'm helping. We'll That's see. great. That's great. You're doing, you're, you're doing good for the world, Scott. That's a great story. And I can't wait to see where that takes you. And, and also for the, for the, for the, for the individuals you're helping with the infinity culinary training. Wow. That has to feel amazing to see how you're changing their lives as well. Yeah, I, I often get very emotional. Um, I see I see them every day. I work with them every day. I get to see feedback when they leave us, when they go on. Mm. We've had 44 graduates go on to full-time employment. Um, oh. I regularly get updates from chefs. I regularly get updates from people. And I can tell you now with my hand on my heart, the biggest achievement in my life is this, is what I'm doing now today. It's not the Michelin stars. It's not the book. It's not... The men's health cover is nothing. None of that. None of that means anything in comparison to honestly walking in every day, seeing people who who don't have opportunities, smiling, and you can just see they they want to be there and they want to learn and they want to grow. And that for me, every day is is the most rewarding thing I could honestly say that I've ever done. That's awesome. Well, listen, I I, I would love to now shift gears and talk about this brand new book that you have. Um, End your carb confusion. It's 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 out. There it is. I, I know I love good food here, Scott, but I know very little about being nothing about being a chef, but yeah. the Michelin star, right? What I do know is that you are all about great food. I mean, great food, great ingredients. And, and now you have a book and your carb confusion. I think you know where I'm going here. Talk to me a little bit about why this book, what was your inspiration for it? Of all the books you could have written, why, why this one? So I actually was very fortunate to meet uh, a guy called Dr. Eric Westman, who is basically the, the keto god. I mean, he's, he's re- he wrote the first book, End Your Carb Confusion. Didn't really know enough about it to, to form much of it. So I said, no, let me go away and have a look and really understand a little bit more. So I read the first book and I was just blown away. I was, you know, it was the way he, it was written and just, you know, the simplification of it all. And I've kind of felt this need... To, to, to do it because I was like, I can really help here, you know, and, and, and I never thought in my wildest dreams that first of all, that I'd do a cookbook. And second of all, that it would be of this sort of slump. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I love roast potatoes and I love breads and, you know, and they're things that I love and I've cooked with, but, um, but to give this opportunity was, was almost better in a way, because I kind of, look, there's a hundred recipes in the book and from the 100 recipes, there's probably 99% of them are dishes that I've either cooked in restaurants or have adapted from restaurants or, or, or learned along the way. Um, there's a lot of family favorites in there, you know, like your, your cottage pies and your moussacas, oh. uh, fish pie, and, and, you know, I've just cleverly tweaked them. So the premise for me was to, to do, you know, really delicious, tasty food. And I think that was where I saw the sort of gap was that, you know, there's not and I'm, I'm not putting the, the other books down that are out there, but there's no one who's done it from a chef's point of view or a chef's perspective. And there's a lot of chef's tips in there and tricks to sort of, you know, simplify cooking and make it a little bit more tasty, whether it's adding specific spices or vinegars or lemons or citrus um, and specific cooking methods to, you know, layer flavors like char grilling or barbecuing or brying, as we say in, the, in South Africa is, you know, the consumer, people want things quickly. They want it simply and they want to understand what it is um so that was really important to me was to make recipes that you know didn't have foam guns and you know all these different contraptions that i was used to playing with in kitchens i wanted it to be stuff that you could pick it up and go yeah that's a really tasty midweek dinner and 
and I can get stuck into that. So, so the book really has got a lot of different angles to it. And I'm really proud of it because, you know, you can pick it up as a first time cook and it's, there's a lot of recipes that are super simple and, and easy to use in there. Or some of the more experienced people out there will look at sort of the, the perfect way to cook a steak. And I go into yeah. different techniques on cooking the perfect steak and cooking the perfect roast chicken. Um, and I think they're sort of building a toolkit for someone to say, you know, I've got this great roast chicken recipe and then there's different sides that can tag into it. So you don't even have to be on a keto diet or a low carbohydrate diet. It's just really good food. It's really tasty and simple to, to cook. I love that. You know, um, by the way, thank you for the simplicity aspect of it. You know, so many of these, of these other books, uh, cookbooks, they're just the complexity. You go into the kitchen and all of a sudden, Scott, you're looking at the, the, the ingredients and how to do it. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know where to start. It's going to take me two hours just to make a dinner. But you, you, you really have a focus on the simplicity. I feel like I can do it. I always say it's much easier with constraints actually to do anything because you kind of know your parameters. If, if someone, you know, if someone said to me, right, Scott, write a book now and we need a hundred recipes. I'd like, crikey, I'll give you 500. I don't know what, you know, I need to, to tailor it down a little bit. Um, but with his phases, you know, the phase one, which is less than 20 grams of carbohydrate, phase two is less than 50 and, and so on. And it's, you know, plugging them into there and it's, it completely over indexes on phase one because actually it's quite simple. You just add more carb if you want to go into phase two or phase three. <laughs> yeah. And it's all outlined in the book and it's all done in, in cups and grams and ounces. And I've done all of the maths for you. Um, most of the recipes are all one pan or one tray. Um, so the washing up is also minimal. And, and, and I really wanted this book to be something that was used. I wanted it to be that people get their fingerprints on and smudges of sauce and that recipes get used time and time again. Then a lot of that stuff is stuff that I've learned in top kitchens with some of the best chefs in the world. So, you know, you're kind of getting a cheat guide into some of the top restaurants in, in this book. Um, and I'm quite proud to be able to present that. And I think that should be, for should me, be. It, it, it's helping people. You know, if this helps, if this helps just one person to either lose weight or to cook better, I've done my job. Okay. On that one, I got to follow up. Another Scott's given us a really great insight here too. When you focus on others, you keep the focus external. Wow. You can do some really special things. And so often we focus in on ourselves. Why? Because we're human. If you can influence just one person, because you will, you guaranteed you will, that changes everything. And it just really turns that even a very small project into something that's really meaningful and has some value. And that's what I think, Scott, your, your, your cookbook is going to be doing for people. And I'm sure it already has. So I love that. Love that philosophy. Very good. Hey, Scott, what's, um, I have to ask you though, this whole evolution for you, this Michelin star chef, butter, carbohydrates, uh, great ingredients, uh, nutrition, I think is secondary. You, you tell me, but there's been an evolution for you. Where, where did you start getting involved in nutrition and men's health magazine and that whole part of part of your life? Reconcile that for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of a sadder story, I guess. Um, I was probably two, two years ago. Um, I got rushed into hospital um, to cut a long story short. They'd found clots in my lungs. Um, and I was basically told, don't move. If you move, it could be fatal. Um, really? Just, yeah, it was an incredibly scary time. I was in ICU for, for a week um, and put on to Clixane and all these different things. 
And I, I, it was that night, it was that so I literally found out that night they said, don't move, you could be fatal. So, you know, you've got to lay still, um, put me on to click same. And, and I suppose you go, your brain goes into overdrive and you kind of sit there and you think, like, what's, where am I going? You know, what if I, what am I going to leave behind? You know, I haven't even, and I have, we've only had, had my son this year. Congratulations. Um, thankfully, yeah, thank you. Um, and I kind of felt that, you know, what, you know, am I, am I treating my body quickly? How can I be in this position? And you just ask yourself all these questions. Um, sort of when I got out of hospital, I said to myself, you know, I would need to leave something behind. I need to create something that I've got, you know, that I can be proud of. And, and it sort of was a mindset that I decided that I needed to change. So my mindset needed to change that I needed to start doing things. I needed to get my, first of all, get myself strong again. And second of all, I needed to start doing things for other people to inspire other people hmm. um so i did i and it's sort of all part of the same journey as i went with the feeding scheme um and and the charity work and i kind of started just training and training differently and and setting myself goals and and each time that i hit the goal i'd go on to the next one and sort of after that year i started changing my diet and my eating habits and and my sleep pattern and really dialing in and focusing on all these different areas of my life that i'd never used to and, I, and it puts things into perspective. Um, and, and there was someone was following my sort of story of my recovery of how I'd gone from this, you know, it was, it was pretty bleak. It was, you know, it wasn't great for me. And then sort of followed my story. And he said, look, we'd love to do an interview with you. Um, this is for men's health. Mm-hmm. We'd love to do an interview with you to hear about your story, how you've recovered. Um, and they wanted to run a feature on, on the feeding scheme and how that started. And at that time, I think we'd only done about 200,000, well, only 200,000 meals. And, you know, I've gone from sitting on a hospital bed at the beginning of the year now to running a fully fledged charity and, wow. and being in really good condition as well. So he said, oh, do you mind if we take a couple of pictures for the, for the articles? So sort of like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, and they're like, oh, take your top off. So it's like, okay, I'll take, I'll take it off. And <laughs> We've then, all uh, been there. We've all been there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I was, and I, I was sort of just like going with it. And I suppose... Two hours later of, of this photo shoot, you know, they sort of left and they sort of waved them goodbye and, you know, didn't think much more of it. And I th- actually didn't think about the article at all, just carried on my day to day. And then um, a week later, the editor of Men's Health phone and said, listen, um, I just want you to know is that we actually put your picture in amongst with the cover model. And it was a unanimous decision that your picture won. There you go. <laughs> So I was, I was looking around to see for a candid camera or something because I was like, no, it's, someone's winding me up here. This something yeah, doesn't yeah. sound right. Um, and yeah, so it went onto the cover and then went onto the cover. I was on the cover in Spain, Portugal. Uh, I was on the digital cover for uh, South America. Um, and it, yeah, it, it was amazing. It was it was a really cool experience. And That's and great. I think you know I, I I read back the article the other day actually just to see. I mean, often we do things in life and we. We don't take a minute to reflect on where we've been and where we've come from. Um, and I think unless, and I don't journal, uh, it's not something that I've done, but I, I can imagine it being, you know, I was able to read an article that was written two years ago and I sort of read back and just thought, you know, that's where I was and where I've gone to and and actually it inspired me to do more, you know, and I think it's, we feel that we, we're not doing well, but we forget the things that we've done to get to where we've got to, you know, and it's those small goals each time. And, you know, I didn't become in great shape overnight. It was about, you know, the one day I'd just being able to walk a kilometer and then the next day, two kilometers. And then, and then, you know, because it was 
the pulmonary embolism knocked me and, and the doctor said, you've got to start 30% and 40% and build yourself back up. And you, along the way, you do get distracted and along the way you can get disheartened. But unless you're tracking and understanding and looking back where you, how bad it was, you know, you can only really appreciate that when you sit down. And I read it and I thought to myself, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of where you are today. But I think there's still a lot more we can get from who you are, Scott. And I think that often we, we, we can do a lot more than we think. And I appreciate you sharing that story. And yeah, I mean... So often we, we, the pace is so quick in life and we never take that time just to, to, as you said, reflect back on those small victories. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Darren, just think of this podcast, you know, you just this conversation, hopefully it's going to inspire someone somewhere, yeah. you know, it's, and, and we often all overlook what we do and who we can affect and how we can affect people. And, and it's something that's so powerful that's, you know, can't be overlooked. Okay. CrossFit. Are you still doing CrossFit? So I am, I'm still training. I still go to CrossFit. Um, my training has become very different. Uh, I have a heart monitor, so I can't bring my heart rate above 155. Um, mm. My list goes off, it sends a buzz, and I slow down or I stop. So my shift has become more into the weightlifting. Um, I'll do a CrossFit class, but I'll do it at my own pace, at my own speed. Um, and I still do it because I like being around the guys and the girls and, and chatting and, and checking in yeah. with, the, with, with them all. So, and it's also part of my routine. So yeah, it's a very, it, it is CrossFit, but it's very different for me. It's not the same experience as it used to be. The fact that you're still part of that community with, with your friends, that's gotta be a huge uh, lift for you, huh? Mentally. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. Don't, I mean, they, everybody knows my story and everybody knows that, that I have an issue. And sometimes they'll see me and they'll see that I'm probably pushing a bit too hard. And they'll say, they'll, they'll purposely say, like, Scotty, you know, you don't need to and it'll chill out. Sometimes I'll miss a buzz on my watch and I, yeah, cool. That's, you're right. Um, it was very hard in the beginning because, you know, when everybody's running or, yeah. You know, people are going full tilt and you're, you're moving slowly and you're kind of thinking, I can still do it, but that's okay. I'm, I'm happy with that. I have different goals. Um, I'm focusing a lot more on the weightlifting, which is great. I've got a program of weightlifting that I, I, I tend to do more often than I do the CrossFit side. Um, I go in early before CrossFit, the classes and an open gym and do a lot of my own sort of session. Uh, which has been amazing because at least I'm seeing progression and still setting goals and still being able to, to achieve them as well. Well, look, your, your book, Andrew Carb Confusion, what is it that you want someone to uh, think or do differently as a result of reading your fantastic book? I think just, just to be able to, to do, try something different, you know, to, to be able to start becoming more competent, uh, you know, start to understand the, the nutritional aspect of food. Often we just eat for eating's sake. And I think the book really will help you understand, you know, what, what you're putting into your body and, and what that's going to do to your body. You know, ultimately, you wouldn't go and put vegetable oil into your car and hope it to drive. So, you know, it's about really understanding. You put good quality ingredients into your body. We've only got one. Um, cook them brilliantly and enjoy it. Food's there to be enjoyed. It's it's not there to be daunting. It's not there to be scary. And I, and I just want people to, to pick up the book and enjoy it and have fun with it. Scott, how should we follow you and keep up on all the cool projects that you are involved with? Where should we go? So my Instagram handle is Scott Parker 1987. Um, 
and I often so the the roof garden and the charity is all on there and all on my reels um, and I often update there. Final question to you. You've got the floor. We got a lot of people listening in who um, who have a goal to change your life for the better. Some are actively pursuing it. Some are thinking about it. What have you learned? Just do it. Just start because, you know, the hardest part is starting and, you know, and you'll find that once you've started and you start sharing your stories and you start meeting people in gyms or you start meeting people at feeding schemes and you start talking about your story, you'll start meeting people that want to inspire you, that will want to help you. And, and you'll go from there to just track it all the time and, and, and reflect and reflect back, go back and see where you've got, where you, where you started and, and where you've gone to. And, you know, the, it's such a cliche, but if you, you don't start, you don't know, and don't, don't be afraid to fail. You know, failing isn't, is actually success in my eyes. Take something, you'll learn something from yourself just by doing that. I think that's great advice. And Scott, it's been so much fun meeting you and having you in the podcast. Uh, I am not a world-class chef. I'll never be on the cover of Men's Health, but I will tell you, I'm gonna be enjoying these recipes and thinking of this conversation on the many ways that you are helping people just so inspiring, Scott. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. What an interview with world-renowned chef Scott Parker. Did you notice how his, his bias for action and focus on others has really serving him well and always thinking about what's next? And the health scare he had in 2020 really seemed to sharpen his focus in a really big way. And now, of course, as a new dad, everything changes. So what was your biggest takeaway? You know, for me, I'm reminded that even though we have specific passions and maybe we're in a specific role, we can sometimes get seduced into thinking that this is the only job for us and this is the only thing that you can do. And the reality is that when you're really good at something, the economy is so big, the need is so great that by stepping outside your comfort zone and pursuing something different, maybe even just on the side, can open up opportunities that you just cannot see because you're so focused in head down in your current world. So my challenge to you is consider that in your own life. What else might be out there that you can serve the world in a different way? Now that you've listened to the episode, I invite you to share this with others who would benefit from it, family and friends that are important to you. Also, make sure you follow Scott Parker on Instagram and be sure to check out that steak video. But you will be entranced, I guarantee you. And also, you can follow me on Instagram. You won't be entranced, but it's pretty good, at Darren Johnson one and also the I Dare You podcast community at I Dare You Pod. Everyone, thank you very much for tuning in. I'm so glad you were here for this episode. And we're going to do it again next week with episode 28. I'll see you then.